Welcome to the Talks on Law California MCLE podcast, interviews with leading attorneys, professors, and judges on important and thought-provoking legal topics. And now for the interview. Hello and welcome to Talks on Law. I'm Joel Cohen. Today we're talking about COVID-19 vaccine mandates, and we'll talk about it in three separate sections. First, we'll talk about mandates at colleges and universities. Then we'll move on to state and federal mandates. And finally, we'll take a look at what some states are doing to restrict vaccine mandates. We're joined remotely by Professor Dorit Rice of UC Hastings Law School, a leading expert on vaccine law. Professor Rice, welcome back to Talks on Law. Nice to be back. Professor, we spoke previously about vaccine law more broadly at a constitutional level, but I wanted to have you back to talk about vaccine mandates. There's been some recent developments in schools. Maybe a quick overview to get us started? So over the past several months, hundreds of universities have mandated the vaccine for their students. Policies vary. Some universities are going to wait until full licensure to enforce the mandate, to have the mandates become operational. Some are already mandating it. Universities offer different levels of exceptions. I think all the ones I've seen offer both medical and religious, but the how tight the exemptions are varies. And some universities are taking the approach of saying, we're mandating immediately, but until there's a license, we're going to give a completely open exep- exceptions. That's going to disappear once the vaccine is licensed. And what do you mean by license? Here, are you talking about the emergency use uh, status of these vaccines, that they're, they're licensed as emergency use? Exactly right. Right now, the vaccine is only authorized for use under an emergency use authorization. But Pfizer has already submitted a request for full license, licensure. Uh, Moderna has submitted one, but it's saying that it's still... Uh, rolling in data. It, it's the application is not complete. So at some point, at least Pfizer's vaccine should be fully licensed. I know there have been a number of, of cases uh, litigating this. One recent federal case that was decided is Klassen versus trustees of the University of Indiana. What happened in that case? So Klassen is one of four challenges in federal courts against vaccine mandates right now. In that case, eight students in the University of Indiana sued the university challenging its vaccine mandate, both on constitutional ground, on saying that you can't mandate a vaccine under an emergency use authorization in the EUA, and saying that uh, the mandate is in tension with Indiana's passport law. The last claim was dropped by the plaintiffs before the case came in, after an opinion from the attorney general that said the mandate is okay. But the others went forward to court. Interestingly, out of those eight students, six had religious exemptions already. And one, according to the court decision, would qualify for religious exemption if she asked, but never asked. But these students were also challenging the fact that the university said, if you have an exemption, you have to be tested every two weeks and you have to wear a mask. So here they gave an alternative, some type of accommodation that if, if not vaccination, there's other steps that can be taken. Exactly. You also have to apply for either a medical or religious exemption. So you have to fit into one. Although my impression, and I don't have any evidence of that, is that the university was granting exemptions pretty much on demand. And what were the legal grounds? What was the legal 
underpinning of the Klassen case. The decision focused on the constitutional issue. Can you mandate the vaccine for university attendance? And the court gave a very thoughtful, detailed analysis of the constitutional issues there. The court said, uh, unlike the university, we don't think that there's no right at all. The university argued that attending a higher education institution is not a right, and therefore uh, the students can choose not to attend and nothing has been affected. The court said we don't completely agree because you can't condition a service on something that does touch on a right and the right to refuse medical treatment is a, a right. It affects your liberty interest. However, the court also said the effect on your liberty interest is not a violation of a fundamental right. You don't have a fundamental right to attend a university unvaccinated. It's just kind of a regular right, which means that the a standard use was rational basis review, whether the measure was reasonable rather than the higher bar of strict scrutiny, which would require a very narrowly tailored measure that protects a compelling interest. In the decision, did the judge cite the famous um, and for some controversial case, Jacobson v. Massachusetts, the Supreme Court case on vaccine mandates from 1905? The court did. The court said Jacobson used a rational basis. Although the term didn't exist yet, the court said that Jacobson used an equivalent to a rational basis re review and did a reasonableness analysis, but the court didn't stop there. It also said, looking at later jurisprudence, that it looks like the right measure for this kind of situation where a university imposes a mandate is rational basis given other decisions by courts. So the court in Klassen was looking at the constitutionality of vaccine mandates. Did the decision get into the question about emergency use status? No. So the court did mention that not all emergency use authorizations are equal and that this one was based on a lot of data. But it did so in the context of assessing if the university mandate was reasonable. It didn't directly address the legal question on whether you can mandate a vaccine under an EUA at all, although the fact that it upheld the mandate suggests that it thought you did, but it didn't give a direct analysis of that question. Professor, some states have recently passed, and others are still considering, laws restricting the ability to impose vaccine mandates. Would those types of state laws interfere with colleges and universities' abilities to impose vaccine mandates? As we like to say in law, it depends. It really depends how the law is written. Some of these laws tell government agencies they can't require vaccines to provide services. And in those states, it will really depend whether university education in a state university is a government is a government agency service. And it varies across states. Some of these laws go further and say that businesses can't require vaccines as a condition of service. And in those states, it will probably cover uh, universities as well. Indiana is interesting because it doesn't say you can't require vaccine. It says you can't require documentation of vaccines. So the types of programs where you have to prove vaccination uh, would not be permitted. Yes. And the attorney general interpreted this to mean that the university can mandate but cannot require documents. So the Indiana University now requires students to stand, sign a statement that they're vaccinated and has to accept that without requiring anything else. And Professor, so far, what's that, the punishment, I suppose, if you're not vaccinated? Are the schools saying, get vaccinated or give up your seat at our college? It depends. So in Indiana University, uh, if you're not vaccinated and did not get an exception, an exemption, 
uh, you are pretty much out. You lose a lot of your privilege. You lose your student ID. It's very close to expulsion. Uh, so some of these mandates do have very direct consequences. But as I said, the University of Indiana does offer exemption, and it looked like it was very generous in giving religious exemption to anyone who asked. Not all universities are as generous. In the workplace, mandates against vary. So in a Texas Methodist hospital, which was also subject to litigation, uh, the mandate was vaccinate over letting you go. That was also upheld by a court, a district court in Texas. Uh, and in that case, again, it was this or that. In California, the governor has yesterday said that they're going to require people to provide the vaccine status, but they're not going to, f uh, that, and that will apply to both state workers and healthcare workers in private and public institutions, but they're not going to f require firing the people who are not vaccinated. If you're unvaccinated, you'll have to submit to testing and mask requirements. So it's a lesser level. So that's a bit about vaccine mandates in the schools. There's also been some huge movement when it comes to state and federal vaccine mandates. Why don't we turn to that? This has, I'm sure, been an incredibly busy few weeks for you. Uh, why don't we start with a quick overview? What's happened in terms of state and federal mandates? It has been a crazy time. Most recently, we've seen four new developments one, the Office of Legal Counsel, the, the president's lawyer, came out with an opinion that says that, yes, you can mandate a vaccine under an emergency use authorization. That was an open legal question. There's very little jurisprudence about it. And they gave a very thoughtful, reasoned analysis of uh, why you can mandate it. Shortly after, the Department of Veteran Affairs mandated the vaccine for uh, not just its agency staff, but the workers in its extensive network of hospitals. On the 26th of July, the governor of California announced that they're going to require documentation of vaccine status from state workers and healthcare workers, private and public. The governor said they're not going to fire workers who are unvaccinated at this point. But if you're unvaccinated, you're going to have to undergo testing, weekly testing, and bi-weekly in highly affected areas, and have to mask. So California is imposing what I'd refer to as a soft mandate, a mandate that does not mean you're fired if you don't get vaccinated. And the city of New York is mandating vaccines uh, for healthcare workers. I expect we'll see quite a bit more action uh, on vaccine mandates. If you don't mind, Professor, why don't we go one by one, starting at the federal level. So the first question is, can you mandate a vaccine under an EUA? And there was, there, there still is legal disagreement about that. This is the first vaccine to be authorized for the entire population under an EUA. It's never happened before. So the question hasn't come up previously. And the EUA law is written in a way that makes this confusing. It has a, a clause that says that the Secretary of Health has to inform recipients that they can accept or refuse a vaccine. And some people said, if you can accept or refuse a vaccine, no mandates. Uh, other people like me, and I will say that I had an opinion on this already, uh, say, A, the law does mention that you can have consequences for refusing the vaccine, so maybe you can mandate, and B, the law doesn't speak to, the se to anyone except the Secretary. So it's reading into it a prohibition on mandates for employers, universities, states, all of which have mandated in the past, is reading a lot into silence. 
So uh, there was a legal debate on this. There's one low-level district court decision on it from Texas that says, yes, you can mandate a vaccine under an EUA. And the Department of Veteran Affairs apparently asked the Office of Legal Counsel for advice because the federal government especially is subject to the EUA law and mandating a vaccine that it's not allowed to mandate would be an issue. This legal opinion, though, isn't, it's not binding law in a courtroom. So what weight does it bring? This opinion is not going to be binding in a court, as you said. It's not going to even get very high deference because it's not a rule. It's just advisory document, but it will have a direct impact on federal agencies because the Office of Legal Counsel is their formal advisor, which means that it'll have a real practical effect. Court decisions take time. So at least for a while, federal agencies may go ahead and mandate, and it'll have persuasive influence. It's very well reasoned, very thought out. So it's something the court will look at and likely consider very seriously. And you say it's very well reasoned. Perhaps I'll be a little facetious. Is that because it's in line with your legal and policy views? So like everybody, I can't think around my biases. So that probably feeds into it, but it doesn't match my view in, in many of the points. It, it says things that I haven't said before that I haven't thought about, and it's simply nicely woven together as well. But I can't say that my bias doesn't feed into it. Well, let's go a little more into detail as to what the VA says. If you're a, an employee of the Department of Veterans Affairs and you choose not to be vaccinated, what happens to you? My understanding is that it's vaccinate or be fired for this one. With, of course, the required legal exemptions for people with disabilities under the American with Disabilities Act. If you have disability, including a medical reason not to vaccinate, you should be given an accommodation and religious accommodations for people who with sincere religious objections to the vaccine. And how about timing? Presumably there's some courtesy or grace period that allows for vaccination to catch up. Yes, people have about eight weeks to get vaccinated, which makes sense since many of the vaccines in question are a two-dose vaccine. And for a two-dose vaccine, you need at least time to get dose one and then dose two. And that should include time to actually schedule your vaccine. Well, let's turn to California. You're currently sitting in California today, Professor? I am and you teach there as well. Why don't we have a quick walkthrough of the California mandate? What do we know so far? Right now, what we have is a press announcement by the governor. What the governor said was, uh, we have previously asked for voluntary vaccine documentation. We're now going to require it. You have to tell us whether you're vaccinated or not. And if you're not vaccinated, you're going to have to be tested at least once a week and wear a mask. And he said it will apply to both state workers and healthcare workers, public and private. He said that he already has agreement from several private healthcare uh, facilities. My reading is that they're not going to require healthcare facilities to do that, but they already have a yes from several, including, for example, Kaiser, which is a really big facility. And let's take a step back. The California mandate does not mean that everyone in California must be vaccinated. It applies to California employees 
And who else? And on healthcare workers. Yes, it's requiring employees of the state and the state has the right as an employer to impose such conditions on its employees and on healthcare workers, the people who work most directly with the COVID-19 patients or with vulnerable population that may be very harmed by COVID-19. You mentioned that the state has special rights when it comes to their employees. Uh, what's the legal justification when it comes to healthcare workers, many of whom are in private practice? So, depend how they do it. If they impose pass a law that says to hospitals, you have to demand vaccine documentation and you have to require testing and masks, they'll be drawing on their constitutional public health law powers. The state has the power to regulate public health. That's what's called the police powers. If all they're doing is talking to healthcare facilities and saying, we think it's a good idea if you do this, we're encouraging you to do this, then they don't need direct legal authority. Professor, does that mean that this vaccine is actually not coercive since there's an alternative? Instead of vaccine, you can do the masks and testing? It's a lot less coercive than a mandate that says vaccinate or you're fired. Uh, which by itself is not as coercive as a mandate that would impose a criminal fine on, on non-vaccination or in, involve people coming and holding you down and vaccinating you by force, which is something we don't do. So it's relatively low on coerciveness, but since at least some of these people are probably going to be anti-mask as well, and since testing is unpleasant, they're going to see it as at least somewhat coercive. You're sitting in California where there's actually a COVID mandate at the state level. But let's talk about what some other states are doing on the other end of the spectrum when it comes to restricting COVID mandates, COVID vaccine mandates. Why don't you give us a quick overview? Yes, we've seen at least 12 states do this. Some of them do, did it through governor executive order. Some of them are doing it by bills. And what they're doing varies. The vast majorities of states that acted address government only. They're telling government, you, the government, can't require vaccines for any services, or uh, for many of them, you can't require that government employees be vaccinated. A smaller minority requires businesses not to require vaccines or not to treat people differently based on vaccine status or not to ask about vaccine status. The laws vary there too. And an even smaller minority, I think only one or two states, I know of Montana, I think there's one or two more, it also prohibits private businesses from requiring that employees be vaccinated. And for those who are listening for MCLE credit in California, let's take a quick break. The code for this interview is 217307. Again, that's 217307. And now back to the interview. Professor, why don't we go through these restrictive laws in order of how restrictive they actually are? Starting with the least restrictive, are some of the laws mostly symbolic? I think so, because in states where uh, such a law can be passed, the political environment is probably such that government isn't likely to mandate its uh, employees be vaccinated or to condition services on vaccines. The one place where the, it might have a practical impact is to state universities. If a state university is considered a state agency, and that's going to vary by state law, 
then the state university may be prohibited from requiring vaccines under that law as well. Interesting. So even though some courts have come out to say that these types of school mandates are in fact constitutional, well, if a state comes out in front of them and says, well, you can't do those types of mandates, that takes precedent. Exactly right. The state can limit universities from mandating. Why don't we turn to the second rung of this restrictive ladder? Here we're talking about states that are prohibiting the ability of companies to impose restrictions on their customers. Yes, it's telling companies you can't mandate vaccines from customers. You can't require customers to show that uh, they're vaccinated or to be vaccinated in order to provide service. And this is highly unusual because we do regulate private businesses, but we generally regulate them in the public health and for public safety, rather than prohibiting them from acting in the public health or safety. I can think of one parallel, and it's I, as far as I know, it's only a Florida law. Uh, there's a Florida law that prohibits private businesses from prohibiting weapons in their parking lot. Again, prohibiting private businesses from imposing a safety requirement. That's the only parallel I can think of. Prohibiting them from prohibiting them. So, in other words, ensuring that Floridians can park their gun in the parking lot. Yeah, allowing uh, Floridians to bring their guns into someone else's private property. Generally, you can set requirements what people bring into your property. This type of restriction sounds like it would be particularly impactful in the travel industry. Take, for example, airlines. Does this mean that JetBlue or Southwest would need to tailor their policies to each state? That's a great question. It really runs into some legal doctrines. And there's, in fact, right now, a a lawsuit challenging this uh, by a Florida cruise ship or an Norwegian cruise ship that travels through Florida. And they're challenging Florida's vaccine passport law, saying that, among other things, it conflicts with the Dormant Commerce Clause, which prohibits states from interfering in interstate commerce, because they're saying other states and other countries are requiring that our crew and passengers be vaccinated. And by prohibiting us from asking, you're making it harder for us to comply with other requirements. You're interfering with our travel. That's one of the several claims that this uh, cruise ship is bringing against Florida. And since we have a constitutional scholar on the line, uh, what were some of the others? One other claim is a preemption claim. The claim is that the Florida law interferes with the ability of the company to comply with CDC regulation. So there's a tension between federal and state regulation and the federal law should trump. Another is that the Florida law interferes with the company's freedom of speech. I think that's a pretty weak claim because requiring vaccine status isn't exactly what I think of as speech. But the last claim is, uh, although states can regulate and interfere with freedom, they have to meet at least rational basis review to do that. So they have to show that the interference is reasonable. And the cruise ship is arguing that this is completely unreasonable, arbitrary and uh, without basis. So we'll keep our eyes out as to how that case will be decided. But why don't we turn to the last rung, the most restrictive types of, of mandate restrictions. Here we're talking about states restricting employers from requiring their employees to be vaccinated. Yes. As far as I know, so far, Montana is the only state that has a law that I've seen. 
I think there's one or two more. And I know that Ohio, for example, is considering a bill that would prohibit employers from doing that, but it hasn't moved forward yet. This is even more unusual because it's basically telling an employer you can't make your workplace safer. Uh, imagine a business owner that has a medical condition that makes COVID-19 very dangerous. Now they can't have their little shop safe for them by requiring the employees to be vaccinated. And it's also in tension with the employer's duty to provide a safe workplace. So it really is unusual in several ways. So imagine I'm running a nursing home in Montana, and my job is to keep my patients or my residents safe. Am I out of luck if I want to require a vaccination of my staff? You probably are out of luck, and it raises real questions because it's, you can't make a convincing dormant commerce clause claim because you're not engaged in interstate commerce. And you really are in a situation where the result may be that you can't protect your patients from this. Of course, bills like these are political. Your best option is political lobbying, highlighting the problem. And if anything sadly happens, pointing out, legislators, you brought this disease into my nursing home. That was restrictions. On the other side, incentives. In Montana, is there anything prohibiting me from rewarding my staff that actually do get a vaccination? you know, adding the carrot instead of the stick. The Montana law prohibits treating employees different according to vaccination status. So it would actually run into that. It, it won't even allow you to require unvaccinated employees to be masked. It's everybody or no. So it takes away the ability to coerce the staff or to reward the staff into getting vaccinated. Exactly. And I actually had questions uh, from a journalist about what happens with in-house care. If you're employing a nanny, can you require her to be vaccinated? And traditionally, even uh, limits on hiring and employment discrimination didn't apply to in-house business or to very small businesses. But this law is phrased very broadly, and it may well apply to an uh, in-house situation. So we'll see different statements, different policies, and we'll have a chance to see the results in action. The problem is that in this case, when we see the results, they're going to be very painful because the results of uh, policies that don't prevent COVID-19 is that people are going to die or be hospitalized by COVID-19. And we're seeing this now in Florida and Arizona where cases and deaths are skyrocketing and both states have put in place policies that prevent vaccine mandates. Well, a thank you to Professor Dorit Rice for taking the time to join us today and thank you for watching Talks on Law. For more legal explainers and interviews with the titans of law, visit TalksOnLaw.com. If you're earning MCLE for this interview, you can enter your confirmation code at TalksOnLaw.com slash MCLE podcast to get your certificate. Join us again soon for more cutting edge interviews on the California MCLE podcast.